welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Kids, K through second, you can go in the back for Kids Church with Miss Whitney. Um, great to be with y'all back in the vine in the newly renovated vine space. Um, this really is awesome to be muffled, muffled applause. Um, you know, one of the things as we were talking about the, this renovation and really pushing for it, uh, one of the main arguments that I firmly believe in is that we worship God in beautiful places because our God is the God of source of all beauty and he deserves to be worshiped in a place that reflects his beauty. Um, One quick announcement before we get going uh, about the conversations meeting this next uh, Wednesday, the 13th at 6 p.m. It will be a pastors-only panel here in this space, and I highly encourage you uh, to come to that. And if you haven't been engaged at all in this process, I would encourage you to get involved in it. Um, Bert's going to be sending a congregational email this week. So if you're not getting those church-wide emails, call the church, and we'll put you on that list. Um, We have a lot of different emails that go out, and sometimes emails get lost. So just call us sometime this week. We'd love to put you on the list. And then Bert wanted me also to lift up that there's going to be a district-wide meeting August 13th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. at Faith United Methodist Church, and that will be in the email this week's. And that's going to basically be uh, kind of experts on both sides presenting um, the two different positions. So uh, leaving that and going to today's message, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series called Witness, looking at what are these relationships that we need to have in the Christian life. That if we're a community of faith, if we're the people of God that he has knit together, we need to have different types of relationships within the family of faith. And today we're going to be looking at the relationship between Timothy and Paul and how we need to be a people who have Timothys in our lives. We need to have protégés or mentees, and we also need to have Pauls in our life. We need to have people who mentor us in the faith. And so today's passage is going to be 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14, if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to there. And real quick before we jump into that passage is we need to know who Timothy was. Uh, Timothy was the protege of Paul. If you read the book of Acts, he was often Paul's traveling companion when Paul went on his missionary journeys. He was one of the main people that traveled with Paul. He was a younger man than Paul. And as he went along and did these missionary journeys, Paul poured his life into Timothy. And then at the time of this writing of 2 Timothy, he is now the pastor of the church of Ephesus at the time that Paul is writing this letter to him. And Ephesus, in the heart of the Roman Empire, was the heart of Artemis worship, which if you know kind of your Greek deities, was the god of the hunt. And it was a a worship that was very prominent in the church of Ephesus. And the church, or not the church in Ephesus, the the place of Ephesus was known especially for magic, for soothsaying, 
and sorcery in that day. And because it was such a hub in the Roman Empire, such a big trade hub in the Roman Empire, not only was Artemis worshipped the main kind of cultural deity that was worshipped, there was also a wide diversity of different pagan gods that were worshipped, different religious practices, and Timothy is basically living in a place of theological pluralism where there's many different gods to be worshipped. And then the church here is proclaiming this message that it is only through Jesus Christ that one can achieve salvation. So it's a very different message in light of the culture around it. And Paul, when he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's writing it from a Roman jail in the heart of the empire in Rome. This is one of the last letters that Paul would write in his life. That He is literally on his deathbed awaiting execution by the Roman government. And this is sort of a, a last letter to his mentee. I'll sort of a, a last handing off, Timothy, before I leave this earth to be with Jesus. Here's what you need to know. Here's what I am handing off to you. Here is how you ought to carry out the faith. And so here's what Paul writes in 2 Timothy, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promises of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am persuaded lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because we have done anything, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause of shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love how Paul starts off this letter. To Timothy, my dear son. To Timothy, the one that I love. To Timothy, the one that I have been a father to all these years. As we look at these type of relationships that we need to foster in our lives, we need to be a people who foster these relationships of spiritual mentors and mentees, of those who are outside of our immediate family. 
I think many times we think about handing down the faith to our children, and that's right and good, but also I think we need to hand down the faith to the children of those who are in our lives or be mentored by those who are outside of our immediate family because if we as the church of Jesus Christ are really a family that God is in it together, then we need to be in one another's lives. We need to have these mentees and mentors of someone like Paul who deeply loved Timothy, deeply cared for Timothy. We need to have someone like that in our lives, someone who deeply loves us, deeply cares for us, who cherishes us, who prays for us, and desires to pour themselves into us and to know our story and walk alongside of us. We need those people in our lives if our faith is to be maintained, if our faith is to keep going, and we need to have these Timothys in our lives. We need to have someone that we pass down this faith to. We need to have someone that we are handing this great deposit over to. So in this passage, I think there's a few things of what it means to be a Timothy or to have, a, or to have Timothys and be a Timothy. The first is we need someone to rekindle the flame within us. We need someone in our lives to rekindle the flame within us. Verses six and seven says this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The, the image that Paul is giving here uh, is sort of like if you can imagine going camping and you're at a campfire and you've stopped adding wood to the fire. You stopped paying attention to the fire. Now all that's left is kind of the embers of the fire. And Paul is saying, you need to rekindle this fire. That the embers are there, the base is there, but you need to add more wood to the fire. You have to fan the fire. You have to get the blaze going in your soul again. That that is the image that Paul is saying, that in the Christian life, we cannot keep the fire going ourselves. We need others to come alongside us and literally fan the flames, to add fuel to the fire, to remind us, then tell us that our fire has died, that all I see is embers in your life where once was a mighty bonfire is now just kindling in embers. Add more fuel to the fire, to let the Spirit of God enter into our lives to bring transformation and make us holy and more like Him. We need to have someone who loves us enough to come and enter into our lives to say, your fire is dim, you must rekindle what you once had. And we need to be looking at the lives of those around us and say, your fire has gone dim. I tell you this not because I'm better than you, but because I love you. To say, your fire has dimmed. Add more fuel to the fire. Fan the flames of the fire. The Christian life is not done by ourselves. It must, must be done within community with one another. One of my favorite John Wesley quotes is he says, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I saw this fact this week that um, Paul in his letters, when he writes to all these different churches, when he refers to God, he uses the term our Lord 53 times. And he uses the term, my Lord, only once. 
that Paul, when he's writing these letters to the churches, he recognizes that the faith is not just an individualistic one, but it is one that is done within community with one another, that it's one that's been handed down to us. We didn't come up with this faith all on our own. We are here today because someone poured into our lives. And we need to be people who pour that faith, pour that deposit, pour that treasure into the lives of those around us. If we're not investing in the lives of those around us, then we're missing a crucial element of our faith surviving. That's why we keep pushing these discipleship bands, because we need one another in our lives. We need to have people who speak truth into our lives, who say when only we have is embers, to say, add more fuel to the fire, friend. Fan the flame that the Spirit has given into you, that we need people like that in our lives, and we need to have people who we can speak that truth into. There's this quote from one of my favorite church fathers. His name's John Chrysostom. Uh, he was the bishop of Constantinople in the mid-fourth century. Uh, Chrysostom was not his last name. It was the title given to him. It literally means the golden mouth. Um, he was considered the, one of the best preachers in all of church history, and his sermons are saved for us. And John Chrysostom writes this about this passage. He said, it requires much zeal to stir up the gift of God. As fire requires fuel, so grace requires our alacrity, but it may, that it may be ever fervent, for it is in our power to kindle or extinguish that grace. Catch that last part. It is in our power to either kindle or extinguish the grace that has been given to us. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first... We would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. The hard reality, friends, is that the faith that we have is not something that can be passively maintained. It needs constant attention. It needs constant fuel being added to the fire. Just like if our faith is like a fire, if you leave a fire, it can go for a while as long as it has fuel. But eventually, if you don't look after it, if you don't maintain it, if you don't watch over it, it'll die and become embers. It was needed, especially in Timothy's context, where there's this pluralism all around him, where many different gods are worshipped, many different expressions of religion are thriving in Ephesus, and it can be discouraging to look in Timothy's context at the world around him and be discouraged. And Paul's comment to Timothy, do not be discouraged, be active in your faith, don't let the flame that is within you die, rekindle the faith within you. Friends, in our own culture, we cannot rely on culture to add fuel to our fire. As the culture of our country is changing, 
if the culture of our country is becoming more hostile to the faith or even just no longer a mostly Christian society. It used to be back um, 100 years ago, there was this idea that you could maybe just coast by and the culture would maybe pick up the slack. Friends, that's not a possibility anymore. We cannot coast by on our faith and expect culture to pick up the slack. We have to be active with our faith. We have to guard our faith. We have to constantly be adding fuel to our fire and fanning the flame within it. We need people who come alongside us and fan the flame into our lives and add fuel to our fire. We cannot, cannot be passive in our faith and expect our faith to survive. We need people to come and surround us in Christian love. Not only do we need someone to rekindle the fire in our souls, we need to have someone, we need to pass the treasure down to someone. We need to pass the treasure down to someone. Verse 13 and 14 says this. Paul says, when you heard from me, keep as the pattern, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Paul says, keep to the sound teaching that you've been given. Guard this deposit. Guard this deposit that's been entrusted to you. Uh, The NRSV translates this as, guard the good treasure that has been entrusted to you. Friends, are you pouring that treasure into someone else's life? Are you passing down the treasure of the gospel to someone else? Paul is saying to Timothy that Timothy has received this precious deposit from Paul, this precious treasure, and Timothy needs to faithfully guard it so that he can pass it down to others as it has been passed down to him. Friends, do we think of our faith like a precious treasure? Do we think of our faith like it's the best part about us, or is it just simply another part of us? Matthew 13, 14, Jesus in his gospel uh, gives this analogy for what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. The man sold everything that he had, and he went and bought the field because he knew that the treasure that was in this field was worth more than anything that he possibly could have. And Jesus says, that is what the kingdom of God is like. Friends, do we see the good news? Do we see the kingdom of God like this precious treasure that makes everything else in our life worthless in comparison? Do we have that high a view of the kingdom of God, of what God has given to us? Lord, help me be so sold out for your good news that everything else is lost. It's this deep, passionate, fervent faith, not this nominal sprinkling of faith in the areas of our life that we want it to be in. It's this radical, sold out faith for God because of what he has done for us. 
And that's what Paul is writing about here in 2 Timothy, because Paul saw all of what Jesus had done for him as his precious treasure worth being guarded, and he is literally waiting to be executed for being a Christian. And catch what Paul says here in verses 8 through 12, while he is literally waiting to be executed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Or of me, his prisoner, rather join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality through the light of the gospel." And I have been appointed as a herald, apostle, and teacher. This is why I am suffering. This is why I'm suffering for the gospel. And yet, Paul says, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed in. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I am willing to suffer. I am willing to be put to shame. I am willing to face all the scorn. I am willing to die for my faith because I know the message of Christ and what Jesus has done for me, that he is the one who has conquered death. He is the one who has set me free. He is the one who has given me life and immortality that anything this world can throw at me will not compare to the glory of God. Because this message is from God himself and God will vindicate us, according to Paul. It is because Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality through the light of the gospel. The message, uh, paraphrased by Eugene Pearson, puts it this way. Since the appearance of our Savior, nothing could be plainer. Death defeated, life vindicated, in a steady blaze of light, all through the work of Jesus. This is the message I have been set apart to proclaim as a preacher, emissary, and teacher. And it's also the cause of all the trouble I'm in. And then catch this. But I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do to the very end. Because if we see this as our great treasure as the best thing about our life, as the thing in which we build our life upon, as the firm foundation that when everything around our lives is shaken, we can be certain of the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God, that we know our God will vindicate us if we stand firm and hold to him. We need to have a desire to pass this treasure down to future generations. One of the reasons I love quoting from church fathers and church mothers is because I believe it reminds us that this faith that we have is not something that we conjured out of thin air, but it's a precious heirloom, a precious family heirloom that's been handed down from generation to generation and that the people that preached about Christ 1,700 years ago still speak truth into our lives today, that this treasure that they held in their hands 2,000 years ago has been carefully handed down to us, and we need to be careful to hand down that treasure 
to those in our lives, to those in our community, and those in our family of faith. When I was ordained um, last month, I guess two months ago, one of the things that they gave me was sort of a, like an apostolic secession from John Wesley, um, and it's going to be up on the screen here. You can't really read it, but that's kind of what it looks like. And basically what it does is it traces um, the laying of hands and the ordination from John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, all the way through and all the different bishops that... Uh, laid on hands of one another up until me. And so there's only a few names on that list that I know. Um, Francis Asbury, the first American bishop, William McKendry, uh, the second American bishop. And then I don't really know any of the other names on that list. And I took a Methodist history class for a whole semester. And if there's, I guess, a big Methodist history nerd, I guess you could say it was me, and I don't know any of the names on the list except two. But yet... Those faithful men of God handed down the precious treasure because they had received precious treasure and they passed it down, passed it down, passed it down until it came to me. And my hope is that I am not the last name on the list. Friends, you are here today because you have been in a lineage a divine lineage that traces its way all the way back to our Lord Jesus Christ who proclaimed the gospel and rose from the dead to his disciples. Don't be the last name on the list of your lineage. Find a Timothy to pour your life into, to pass the treasure down to, and hold firm to the faith because it is so precious and it's worth more than gold, worth more than silver. As I invite the band back up, I want to close with this quote from John Wesley. He says this, <clears throat> I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid that they should exist only as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power and this will undoubtedly be the case unless they hold fast to both doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Friends, I don't want us to be a dead sect. I don't want us to have the form of religion without the power. I want us to view the kingdom of God as this precious treasure that we hold, and it radically transforms our lives by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit so that we can share it with all that we encounter. I want to be a city on a hill, a light in the world. I don't want to hide this precious treasure that we have just to ourselves. Have Timothy's. Have people that you can pass a treasure down to. Have people that you need to rekindle the flame of their faith into their lives. And have a Paul who can say those things that your faith is an ember. Your faith seems to have the form of religion without the power. Do you need to fan the flame into your life again? As we take communion, as we take grace, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, we have some response questions to be contemplating as you come and take Holy Communion. Do you have someone who rekindles the embers of your faith? Do you see the gospel as treasure? And how are you guarding the treasure that's been passed down to you? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, 
He was gathered around the table with his friends, the one who would be the first holders of the treasure. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, just like you did on Paul and Timothy and John Chrysostom and John Wesley, Francis Asbury, William McKendry, and on our spiritual fathers and mothers, grandmothers and grandfathers. Lord, pour it out over us again today as you pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and juice so that it may be transformed into the body of Christ so that we can be transformed into the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until you come in victory, Jesus, and we feast as a family in your heavenly banquet. As we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.